Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back here at the Livingstone Church. We've been traveling. My family and I have been traveling. We've, uh, we've gone all over the country, it feels like. In fact, we have flown all over the country. And so it's good to be back home. Good to be back with you. Um, I can't see who's here this morning because the lights are so bright. But, uh, man, I'm so glad to be back with you guys. So just a couple of quick things. Um, you heard about our uh, Santa parade that we're doing coming up this next weekend. Um, we still need help. We need helpers with that. And so I, I think I heard Nick say be here around noon. We're actually going to be meeting here before then. Um, we're going to start the parade at 10, 10 in the morning, and then we're going to do a round up at the top parking lot here. Uh, that's for anybody that doesn't live in the neighborhood. And so if you want to join us there uh, in the top parking lot, Santa's going to be making his rounds there. And so here's where I need you to be uh, mindful of what we need. We need some elves. So if you're short and pointy-eared, we want to talk to you, okay? Uh, also, um, you don't have to be small. We would, we would love big elves. You know, we don't discriminate here at the Livingstone. Um, so we also have a couple of amazing uh, characters, I guess you could say, uh, that are in storage. One is Olaf, one is Finn. And so if you've ever wanted to live out as a Disney character, we would love to talk to you because we need a couple of, of, uh, of characters. So pray about it. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, if you love Jesus, maybe you'll consider it. So, uh, man, it's so good to be back with you. Uh, this series has been really good, I think. It's been really helpful for me personally. Uh, Nick and I, our executive pastor Nick and I, we, uh, we, we spent some time a few weeks ago and and uh, put together Growth Track Online. And so the whole purpose of going through this series is to help you understand that God has given you uh, a life that is filled with purpose and that God wants to use your life to impact others for eternity. And so we filmed Growth Track. Uh, there's four sessions. We put them online. We, we have amazing, uh, um, we, we just have amazing um, cameras with our iPhones these days. So the quality is, is what you would expect. So we filmed with our iPhones. We just needed to get something out there. And so uh, if you'll go through that at your own pace, it's on our website. You can go through Growth Track. Uh, there's four sessions. It's really easy. You can download the, the PDF right there. You can walk through the, the sessions with, with us there. And uh, there's something to fill out at the bottom of every session on the website. And that helps us keep track with where you are in Growth Track. If you've gone through it before, I, I would encourage you to just go through it at your own pace whenever you get a, uh, a free moment, maybe over lunch or uh, before you go to bed at night or maybe first thing in the morning. It's a great thing for us uh, to have as a church because it really helps you understand how God has created you, uh, maybe how he's gifted you, um, your personality. We're going to explore all those things, especially in week three, uh, session three, which is what today is all about. And so, um, you know, I think before we get started today, I have some thoughts about you. And here's what I'm guessing that I know about many of you. I'm guessing that there's probably something that bothers you when you see it in the world. Some injustice, something that weighs on you, perhaps on the path of or the mindset of other people. It might be a need that you see or something that you think that somebody should be meeting, a need that needs to be met. It might be a group of people that are hurting, maybe those who've been abused, maybe it's someone who's been neglected. 
And you know that as followers of Jesus, we should be involved in that. We should be involved in meeting those needs. There is probably, for many of you, what we might call a divine burden. A divine burden. What I mean by that is it's something that disturbs you, something that upsets you on behalf of God, something that just stirs you emotionally or passionately, something that moves you in a significant way. The burden you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. So this divine calling or this divine burden that God has given you, something that you see in the world that is broken, something that you go, man, I would, there's just something that bugs me about this. One of those things for my, my dad is abortion. He, 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 he is so passionate, especially now that he has grandchildren, he's so passionate to fight against that at any, at any level that he can. That's his divine burden. So he's a printer. He was an engineer for Halliburton for many years, for 38 years. And he retired and bought a printing business because that's what you do when you retire. You just buy more businesses, apparently. So he bought a printing business and he, he offers free printing for ministries like ours or at-cost printing for ministries like ours. Uh, but specifically, for any pregnancy center, he wants to help out. He wants to help in the mission. That's his divine burden that God has given him in this life. And so it's something that disturbs you, something that upsets you on behalf of God. And this divine burden that you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. The thing that tends to upset you will often drive you or compel you into a ministry to make a difference in the lives of someone else. Also, you rarely know when you're on the front end of something really special that God might be doing right now. Let me say that again. You rarely may realize that God is doing something right now on the front end. But years from now, you may be looking back and go, it was right there in that gym at Thunder Vista Elementary where I knew God had put something on my heart, something that he had made me passionate about, something that only I feel like God is asking me to do. Now, there's other things, there's other people that will always feel called to the same things that you do. I'm not saying that. But you really understand when God is starting this journey. I want to tell you about my journey, my calling into ministry. It was uh, 92, 1992, 1993. I grew up going to church. I uh, always hated going to church uh, because church was not as fun as our church is. If I'm honest, it, uh, as a kid, I just I hated going to church. And I'm, I'm sorry if this offends some of you, but the felt board Jesus and Lazarus stories or, you know, those things, you know what I'm talking about, the felt board stories? If you've been in church as a kid, especially in some of those old school churches, we used to have these felt boards. This is before we had technology. And so the felt board things were cool and everything, but it just lost my interest. I wanted to play Nintendo, obviously, I guess. So. But I, I, I genuinely didn't like going to church because I had to sit in a boring service and listen to a boring preacher. And uh, lo and behold, I'm a preacher today. And so I hated going to church up until I was in the youth group. Until I was in the student ministry, I really didn't, I mean, I went and I knew it was expected for us to go. We rarely missed a Sunday, but it wasn't until I was in, in the student ministry that I really began to have a relationship with God or a genuine relationship with him. And it was through that relationship with him that I started feeling this burden, this divine burden to make a difference with my life. I was probably 
14 or 15 years old when I went to summer camp. And uh, that year, Jesus Freak, you remember, anybody remember that? Jesus Freak, DC Talk? One person does. All right. Two people. Well, uh, it's, it's a great song. It gets me fired up even to this day. I, I let my kids listen to it the other day. They're like, this is so dumb. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, but you got to understand, like, this is a Jesus freak. is someone that is so passionate about Jesus. They don't care what the world says. They just want to serve and love and worship God. And so when I explained it that way to my oldest, she's like, oh, okay, I get it, but it's still dumb. <laughs> so, so, uh, but that song got me so fired up when I was a kid. Uh, when I was about 14 or 15, and I'll never forget this, at camp one year at Falls Creek near Davis, Oklahoma, uh, I, I went every year with my church, and, and it was there at that, I think it was Thursday night, you know, where everybody goes down front and rededicates their life or gets saved or whatever. Uh, that's when I literally felt God say, I'm calling you to do something different with your life. And here I am, 14 or 15 years old, and I go, well, who's going to believe me? Genuinely, who's going to believe that a 14-year-old is going to be feel a, a calling to ministry? And, and who's going to believe that in the first place? So I kind of brushed it aside and I kind of said, well, it's not, it's, not just, uh, it's not just a call into ministry. It's probably a call to serve God in, in a secular role. And so I said, I don't know what God's calling me to do. Maybe it's to be uh, 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 an architect or an engineer or something like that, and I can serve God in that way, which is true. You can. But if I'm honest with you, I felt down deep, deep inside that God was calling me to do something a little bit more than that. And I'm not saying that that calling is different or better than, than any other calling. I'm not saying that at all. I just felt that burden that God was calling me to do something even more than just find a job and serve God through my job. Now, Progressed through the years, went to college. In college, I, I, uh, I changed my major like four or five times, proud to say. Um, <laughs> I was undecided for the first three semesters until I transferred to Oklahoma State University. And I transferred there with a the mindset of getting my architect degree. Um, and then I realized I'm not good at math. And so... <laughs> So that's, that's, that's kind of important if you're going to be an architect. Well, I'm, I hate math, and I'm horrible at it. Um, and so I was so confused in some of those classes. So I thought, well, okay, my dad's an engineer. He's not that smart. I mean, he can't spell that well. So maybe, maybe I could be an engineer. Turns out he is smart, and uh, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm telling you, I, I changed my major into engineering, and it was, it was a disaster. And so I thought, okay, forget that. I'll just go into business because there's no math in business, except for accounting. And so when I came to accounting, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I, I, I need to find a degree with no math in it, because I am miserable. I'm trying to force this door open in my life. And so I had to register for classes the next day. Now, keep in mind, this is about halfway through my junior year. The time is ticking. I've got to land on something. Uh, I don't want to be, you know, 40 and still be in college. And so all that to say, I genuinely needed to hear from God. I needed to hear from him right there, right then. And so I began this, this, this heartfelt morning of prayer and fasting. And I said, God, I need to hear from you right here, right now. And I said, I'm not going to eat or drink anything until I hear from you right here, right now. 
And I'm not going to stop worshiping you this morning. I'm not going to stop praying to you, reading scripture. I need to hear from you because I've got to get up and register for classes the next morning. And I don't want to mess up my life any more than I already have. And about noon, I got really hungry, so I heard from the Lord. (laughs) Not really. So I I just, uh, man, I'm, I'm telling you, it was around noon that I really felt the Lord saying, I was listening to this song. It was an old Christian hippie band that I used to listen to called Waterdeep from Kansas, a bunch of hippies that, that loved Jesus, and it was a great song. But in the song, it talked about how uh, this, this homeless lady was being helped by a pastor and, and how she had, uh, uh, she said, I can never repay you. And the pastor said, it was paid 2,000 years ago on a cross for you. And I thought, that's, that's amazing. It's kind of cheesy now. But, but I thought, man, that's incredible. That's what I want to do with my life. And it was almost like I heard, it's almost like I heard God say, You know what I've called you to. You've been asking me all morning. In fact, you've been asking me since you were 14 what I want you to do. You know where I've called you. You know what I've asked you to do. Truth be told, I had run from that calling because I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to make money. I wanted to make something with my life. And truth be told, none of that really matters. And so I got up and I had been pouring out my, 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 my prayers to God that morning. I had been weeping. I had been genuinely moved. And I had this peace come over me that God was saying, you know where I've called you. You know what I've called you to do. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't want to be a preacher I thought maybe I could do student ministry, maybe I could do college ministry, maybe I could be a missionary because I don't want to wear a suit and tie on Sunday mornings. I don't want to preach with a choir behind me. I mean, that was my mindset, but I didn't care what it looked like. I didn't care what God was asking me to do. I just wanted to be in the middle of his will. And it was the next morning that I got and registered for classes in family relations and child development. It was one of the best things for me because it had no math and it also uh, was a counseling degree and it allowed me to, to gain some tools Uh, for ministry. And so I finished up in four years, believe it or not, and I had to take some summer school, but I finished up in four years of college, went to seminary, and uh, got my master's, and then started ministry. And I I tell you all that because, um, just because I think so many of us, we want to do something right here, right now. We know God is putting something on our heart, and we may not know what it is, and I'm not asking you to to reevaluate your career choice. I'm not here saying, you know, if you're an electrician or a plumber or an engineer that maybe you should rethink how God has wired you. No, if God has planted you somewhere in a job, be the light of Christ in that moment. Be the light of Christ there. And you may be asking, does what I do really matter? Yes, it does. We are saved for a purpose. We are saved for a reason. And it's to be the light in this dark world. I had been praying for months and months that God would give me someone that could actually disciple me, that could teach me the truths of God's word, the depths of God's word. After I got up and registered for classes the next morning, I went to my roommate's church, walked in the church office, met with a student minister, and I said, man, I I feel called to to ministry. I, I just changed my degree today, and I'd love to hang out with the youth on Sunday or Sundays and Wednesdays, if that's okay. I'd love to just learn from you. 
And he had no idea I'd been praying for someone to teach me God's word. He opened up his Bible. He said, let me show you what we've been studying. He goes from Old Testament to New Testament, back and forth, without any notes, without anything. He's quoting things, turning the Bible around, showing me exactly what it says. Word for word, he's quoting it. And I remember going, I want to know the Bible like he does. That man, who is also my college pastor at the time, became one of my closest friends, confidants, and mentors. He had no idea that I had been praying for God to give me someone like him. Likewise, you have no idea how God might use you. You have no idea. It may be something small. It may be something big. But whatever God is asking you to do, whatever he's called you to do, whatever that divine burden is on your life, he's called you and he will equip you. The first point, if you're taking notes this morning, is if you want to know God's divine calling on your life, the first thing you've got to do is seek God faithfully. Seek God faithfully. Pray. Read your Bible. Fast. Get serious with him. Now, coming out of COVID, hopefully we're coming out of this season, but coming out of this, if we're not ready to do the hard work now, then then I don't know what's going to be what's going to be on the other side of you uh, on the other side of this for you. We've got to put in some of the hard work now. Seek him now. Ask him to reveal himself to you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are known and loved. Now that sounds great and everything, but I just want you to hear that because God knows you. He made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are known, you are loved, and he has a purpose for your life. And so once we start seeking him, I guarantee you he's going to reveal to you what he's asking you to do. So the second point is this. Clearly define his vision. Ask for clarity. Ask God to reveal to you what he's asking you to do. And then start making plans to get there. Had I not got up the next morning and registered for classes, then who knows where I'd be. If I had not made plans to go to my roommate's church and talk with a student pastor, who knows where I would be right now? Had I not decided to pursue seminary degree, a seminary degree, who knows where I would be right now? Listen to how God sees you. Listen to this, Matthew 5.13. I love this. This is right after the Beatitudes. Jesus says this. He's saying this to you even now. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see what? They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is how God sees you. You're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, salt, if it loses its saltiness, is good for nothing. We can't season meat with it. We can't preserve things with it. It's, it's just worthless. And he says, if you're going to be salt of the earth, I need you to be salt of the earth. 
Don't just say you're salt of the earth on Sundays or on Wednesdays when you go to group or, or just, you know, sporadically when you read your Bible. Be the salt of the earth because if you're not going to be the salt, I don't know what to do with you. I have no use for you. Now, obviously, Jesus is not saying you're going to be kicked out of my family. You're going to be kicked out of my kingdom. This is not what he's saying. What he's saying is you are a difference maker. Your conversations should be ones that preserve people, that preserve life, that add seasoning to the conversation. You're the light of the world. The light of the world. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. He says you are. He didn't say I am. Now he does say that in other places. But now think about it from Jesus' perspective even today. Jesus is not physically walking this earth. You and I are. When Jesus was crucified, buried, and dead, and on the third day raised to life again, Jesus spent some time with his disciples, appeared to over 500 people, then he ascended into heaven, alive, where he still is to this very day. But he gave us the mission to be the salt and the light. Why salt and light? Well, salt preserves, salt seasons things. Salt adds flavor, obviously. But light in the darkness is what, what Jesus really calls us here. Light in the darkness. In this dark room, there are four bright lights shining in my face right now, so much so that I can barely see your faces. Light in the darkness. If you've been around 2020, you have seen the darkness this world has to offer. You have seen the darkness that this world is. And we are not called to be a part of this world. We are called to be separate from this world. In fact, when Jesus left, he left his disciples with this mission to be the light in the darkness. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, we live near the mountains. We know that when we travel up through the mountains at night, we can see a town on the hillside. We can see it. We can see homes up on the hillside. It can't be hidden. Those things are true. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That'd be pointless. Yet so often, myself included, in previous times past, have not truly let my light shone. I have been afraid or ashamed or nervous or fearful But that's not who we are at all. We're more than conquerors. We are overcomers if we truly believe that Jesus died on the cross. He gave us new life. He gave us a purpose. No, we need to put our light on a stand. There's light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. You see, you are saved for a purpose. You are saved to do good works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 is one of my favorite passages. If you have to remember, if you, if you can memorize one passage, it would be this one. For it is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not by yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. For we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God had planned in advance for us to do. You see, we're not saved. We're not in this relationship with God by good works. We don't enter into this relationship with God by doing good things. No, we are saved to do good works. We are saved for a purpose. 
What I love about this passage is it says that we have everything we need. Listen to this. You have everything you need to make a difference. You have everything you need. God has gifted you with specific giftings. I want you to think about this for a moment. There's no way to prove this, but according to smarter people than me, they say that there's not two snowflakes that are alike. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about genuine snowflakes. If that's true, think about that from a human perspective. There's not one person on this planet like you that has your taste, that has your giftings, that has your abilities, that has your personality. Now, I know we could say, well, yeah, there's people like me that have the same personality, you know, and the 16 personalities that we've discovered. Surely there's someone that's like me, that likes the things that I do. Yeah, but God has given you a specific purpose, a divine burden, and he wants to shine in you and through you. There's not one person like you on this planet. A few weeks ago, we were talking about this in our staff meeting. Nick, our executive pastor, has a, has a uh, twin brother. And he says, he says, even though we look alike, we talk alike, um, Nick says he's the handsome one, uh, but they look exactly alike. And uh, he said, we're so different, it's not even funny. That ought to give you comfort in knowing that God has given you something that no one else has. A life that no one else has. You have everything you need right here. Let me take you back. Okay, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. Let me take you back to help better understand the the passage before we get to this passage. In other words, I want to go back to verse 3 in this passage. Verse 3 says this. This is called the Beatitudes. Beatitude means, uh, Beatitude, the the word actually means blessing or joy. Filled with inexpressible, overwhelming joy. Listen to this. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Well, see, Jesus was preaching to a lot of poor people. A lot of poor people that may not have been really um, knowledgeable about all the things that maybe the Pharisees or the religious teachers were back in those days. Maybe they didn't have a lot of possessions. Maybe they didn't have a lot of money. But Jesus is telling them, blessed are you if you are poor in the things of this world and the poor or selfless in the things in this world. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're selfless here, it's actually a good thing for you. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven is what we think about when we think about heaven right now. We think, well, that's where God is. That's where, that's where paradise is. But that's not what this phrase is referring to. This phrase is referring to the kingdom that Jesus will come back with someday. The kingdom that he will be king over. Right now, if we were able to peel back the layers of heaven, we would see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there? He's interceding as our high priest at the right hand of the Father. That's why we go through Jesus to get to the Father. That's why we end prayers in Jesus' name. We're going through Jesus to get to the Father. But Jesus will someday... Be crowned king at the wedding banquet in heaven. That's yet to take place. It's a title he carries. It's not yet taken place yet. The kingdom of heaven will someday be ruled by Jesus. God will hand the kingdom over to Jesus, apparently. The Bible talks about this thousand years that Jesus is going to reign on the earth in his kingdom. 
If you remember back to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying for thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was literally praying for his kingdom to come. So what was Jesus praying for? He's praying for this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In other words, I believe Jesus is saying, when you become more and more like me, when you serve others instead of serving yourself, when you have outwardly focused eyes instead of inwardly focused eyes, when you truly love God and love people, when you truly put everyone else before yourself, that's what stirs God's heart. That's what makes you more like Jesus. And I believe Jesus is saying, there's a great reward for you in the kingdom. Listen to verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> that we will be comforted. Man, you're mourning the loss of something, a job or a spouse or a, a loved one or whatever. In this life, blessed are you if you mourn. Blessed are you if you mourn with your fellow believer. You're going to be comforted. You see, the end is not all bleak. Death for us is not the end. We will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, or the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Again, it's a call back to verse 3. Blessed are the meek, the humble. Blessed are you when you become more like Jesus, when you realize that this divine burden that he's given you is, is given to you for a reason. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth, inherit the kingdom. When the kingdom comes to the earth, you will be a part of that inheritance. That great reward. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I love this passage specifically. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. Have you ever been to that point in your life where you've just been like so amazingly thirsty? Maybe you're on a hike or maybe you're on a run and you just, you're parched. You need it. You need, there's nothing else on your mind. There's nothing else on your heart. You need to be quenched. You, you need to quench that thirst. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for this righteousness, living more like Jesus, not being a goody two-shoes, but actually going, nothing else matters except for pleasing God. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness like that, he says, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That word see doesn't just mean they'll perceive God. It means that they will gaze with eyes wide open at something remarkable, amazing, beautiful. So when we're tempted to take our eyes off of whatever God has called us to do, who he's called us to be, keep this in mind. When we walk the path of purity, when we say no to temptation to sin, when we say yes to being filled with righteousness, we have this promise that they will see God, that we will see God. And I don't think, I don't think that just means on this side of eternity. I think that means there's going to be an incredible blessing on the other side. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This word children is the Greek word huios. It means, uh, it means firstborn child. And this is so important. If you ever see children in the, in the Bible and you go to study this, if it's the word huios, it's very important. 
weos is a firstborn child. If, if you ever do a study in, in uh, Genesis with Isaac and Esau, you'll see that Esau was the firstborn child. He was going to receive the double portion of the father's inheritance. Isaac, his brother, his twin brother, I'm sorry, Jacob, his twin brother, Jacob and Esau, would have only received a single portion of the inheritance. Now, if you study the story out, you'll see that Esau gave his his inheritance, he gave up his inheritance for something worldly, a bowl of stew. He despised his birthright. He despised being the firstborn in his family, the firstborn to Isaac. So he swapped his inheritance right to Jacob. And Jacob, that's why we call, that's why we sing some of these songs in church sometimes, O God of Jacob. He's, he's through the lineage, he's the lineage through whom Jesus came through. He was blessed, highly blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called firstborn children of God. Not just children, firstborn children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that phrase again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When you're the only one standing and you know you're standing for what's right, Take heart knowing that you are making God proud in that moment. Blessed are you if you are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean that you work your way into heaven. That's not, this not even what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom that I'm bringing to earth someday, you're going to get to be a part of that. If you stand for what's right, I will put you in charge of many things in my kingdom. I will bless you. I will reward you when you stand before me. I won't be ashamed of you. He follows that up in verse 11. He says this, blessed are you when people insult you. Listen to this. Persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sometimes when we stand for what's right or we fight for what that divine burden that God has given us, sometimes when we are the only ones standing, we got to be okay with that. God has given you a divine burden. He's given you a calling. Not all of us are called to uproot our lives and move to Africa and plant churches, but maybe, just maybe, God is calling you, some of you, to do that. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for your life. All I can say is, is as I look back over my life, I don't love being persecuted. I don't love being insulted. I don't like being the only one standing, but sometimes when I am the only one standing and I know I'm standing for what's right, I gotta take heart and know that Nothing else really matters except for what God thinks of me. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then we come back to the passage that we were in earlier. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God, your Father in heaven. I wanted you to see that played out in its fullness. Because God has redeemed you for a purpose. He has set you apart for a holy purpose. He wants to use your life. He wants to use your influence. You don't have to know everything. You don't just have to, you don't, you don't even really need to know much. You just need to, to, to be able to say, God, I'm here, I'm available. God, whatever you need me to do, I will do. So here's what I want you to ask yourself this morning. What is God calling me to do? What is God calling you to do this morning? What is he asking you to do? Only you can answer that. Seek him faithfully. Faithfully pursue him this week. Ask God to reveal to you his divine burden for your life. Seek clarity on that vision, whatever that is for you, whatever his vision for your life is. Maybe for some of you it's to get out of debt so that you can actually become generous givers, not just here at the Livingstone, outside of this church, so that you can have a generous life. Maybe for some of you it's working on your marriage so that your marriage can be a legacy that you leave and build for your children. Maybe for some of you it's God's calling you to do something like share your faith in your workplace or with your neighbors. Maybe that seems terrifying to you. All I know is that when, in those moments when I've been available to God, that's when he really shows up and when he really opens the doors. So here's what I would ask you to do. Go through growth track. If you've gone through it before, give it another shot. Growth Track is an incredible thing that we've put together. It's an incredible thing that will help you, an incredible process that will help you understand some of the basics of the faith. If you're new to church, um, our vision and mission of the Livingstone Church, session two is that. Session three is understanding your giftings, your calling, your personality. Session four is designed to help you understand how your giftings, how your unique abilities, your unique giftings fit into serving God in this life. Again, you can go through Growth Track on our website. I would highly recommend that you do that. Those are some easy, easy steps to take. What divine burden is God putting on your life right now? What's he asking you to do? This morning we're going to receive communion. Uh, under your chairs there should be a, uh, a small uh, little cup of grape juice and, and a wafer on top. If you're a believer, this is for believers only. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this really has no meaning for you. But for those of us who claim the name of Jesus, this, this means everything. What if today were the day that you started afresh with the Lord? A fresh beginning, a fresh start with Him. Getting real with Him this morning.
through communion. I believe that communion is more than just a cup of grape juice and a, and a stale wafer. This is more than just that. This is identifying with Jesus. What did Jesus do for you and me? Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Came to give his life for you and me. That's what he's asking you this morning. Will you, will you receive that calling this morning? If you'll join with me this morning. If you'll take that top layer off, there's the cracker there. <coughs> Grab one. Together, we're gonna, we're gonna receive communion this morning. Some of these are sometimes hard to peel off. The night before Jesus was arrested, betrayed, to be crucified on the cross the next morning, the night before all of that happened, Jesus spent some time with his disciples and he celebrated the Passover feast and they had a meal together. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. All of that happened in a very intimate setting with his disciples, men that he had spent three years with, pouring into and investing men that would become the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And, and he said, I, I, he passed around some bread and he said, I, this is the bread of the new covenant. It's going to be broken for you. Jesus said, this bread is like my body that will be broken for you. And he said, take this in remembrance of me. I think what Jesus was saying is, is, is I'm going to be broken for you. You're going to remember this in the next few weeks, months, and years. For the rest of your life, you're gonna remember that I was broken for you. My flesh, which is represented by this bread, will be broken for you. And I think what he's asking you and me to do today and what he was asking the disciples to do is, will you be broken for me, Jesus says. When you're ready, when you're ready, maybe you just need to sit there and go, God, I don't know what this looks like. God, help me to be broken for you. broken for you. I want my life to represent your life. They, together they, they took it and they partook of this bread. After that he passed around a cup of wine and he said this wine is the wine of the new covenant representing my blood that's going to be poured out for you. They didn't fully understand what he meant but looking back they fully understood what he really meant. He said, this blood will be poured out for you. I think what he's asking you and me to do is to live a life that will be poured out for him. As we partake of this together, ask God to be first place in your life. Ask him to help you pour out yourself for him. Together as we take this, let us live a life that is poured out for him. Father, we're so grateful for who you are to us. And I'm so grateful that you've given us a divine burden. Now that you've called us not to just be spectators, to be watchers, to be people that are just sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. God, you've called us to be more than conquerors. God, you've called us to be 
the light in the darkness, the salt of the earth. And so, Father, I pray this morning, God, that you'd begin stirring our heart for something. God, that we would seek that divine purpose, that divine burden that you've given us. God, you've called us. You've called us out of this darkness into the light. And God, I pray that we would become that light in every way possible. Father, I pray this morning as we worship you, God, as we pour out our hearts to you, God, would you receive this offering this morning? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we sing, I just want to put this out there to you because uh, Nick is going to come up at the end and do uh, a little bit of a, an announcement there at the end. But uh, last year, last year as we uh, wrapped up the, the end of 2019, we set it before our church a, uh, a, a vision to live in 50% self-sufficiency with donations from within. So what that means is it takes a lot of money to do what we do here, here at the Livingstone Church. Last year we were running, up until December, we were running somewhere around 35% self-sufficient, meaning that we rely heavily on outside funding to do what we do here as a church. That's why I have to sometimes go to Tennessee and preach at partner churches that give us money to, to help them understand that they're super helpful in doing what they're doing and supporting us. Um, so last year, I put it before you in the month of December to give above and beyond maybe what you've been giving. And uh, we tried to live in 50% self-sufficiency for one month. And we did one up that. We, we did much better than that. We lived in 55% at the end of last year. It was an incredible thing that, that you guys did in giving to our church. We still need that, obviously. And I want to encourage you, if you're not giving something, to give something online or, or to give text to give. You can do that at the end of the service. Um, however, we're dreaming bigger than what we are currently. And uh, we've been praying that God would maybe allow us to buy land or a building at some point. And so uh, um, we're going to be bold in asking um, to raise money for, for, for land or a building. We don't know what that looks like yet. Um, as we look at land, it may cost anywhere from $100,000 to $200,000 just to get a report, an EPA report and some other things that we've got to do to get done just to buy the land and to build on it if we ever do that. And so we're, we don't know what the Lord is calling us to do or where he's calling us to be long-term, uh, but we're going to start moving forward with raising money for that, whatever that looks like. And so just know that, um, that if you want to be a part of that journey, um, you can give on our website. There's a building fund. It's called Building for Tomorrow. And that's the fund that you can give to above and beyond what you already give to the church. We don't want that to be part of your tithe. We want that to be an offering. An offering is anything that you give above and beyond your tithe. And so would you pray about how you can give to that as we start pursuing what God may be asking us to do as far as buying land or, or building a building someday or buying a building. We don't know what the future holds for us just yet. Uh, so you'll be hearing more of this in, in the weeks to come. Just wanted to throw that out there for this month. If you're looking at giving to something, this is a great thing to give towards uh, as, we, as we start planning for the future. Now, let me pray before we worship again. And God, I'm just so grateful, God, that you have given us a space to worship in. And Father, we're believing bigger things. God, we believe that you're calling us to be 
an anchor in this community, an anchor that raises up leaders and sends them out into the workforce, an anchor, a church that that raises up church planters and sends them out, a, a church that is raising up leaders and sending out mission teams across Denver and the West and the world. God, we want to see a movement of you. And so, Father, as we worship you this morning, God, would you please, God, receive our sacrifice in worship. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship.